Welcome to today's Community Cast. My name is Matt Morgan. I'm the pastor at Community Brookside, a new church plant in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We are so blessed by your presence, and we hope that today's content will bring you joy. So as I mentioned earlier, and most of you probably already knew, that today is Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost for Christians is considered to be the birthday of the church. This is the day that we celebrate the beginning of the formation of the Christian church as a separate entity from the Jewish tradition, from the Jewish religion, that the the Christian church kind of sprang from that, right? During Pentecost, the Jesus movement for peace and justice, it changed from something that was a relatively small group of believers beginning with 12 and kind of expanding slowly out to a moment in history where the church exploded in numbers. And on this day, we celebrate Peter's preaching and changing the world and inviting 3,000 new believers into a relationship with the living Christ. On Pentecost, we recognize the Holy Spirit's role as a third person in the Trinity. And just for a bit of clarity, uh, the word Trinity means that we believe that God is made up of three distinct persons, but made of the exact same substance, right? So the word for this, I learned this in seminary, is called homoousius. Same substance, three distinct people, three distinct persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Today, almost every Christian church in the world will be talking about how the Holy Spirit was poured out on God's people at Pentecost, how the very Spirit of God that was given to humanity so long ago was given in order that each of us who believe might be equipped with the exact same Spirit that was working in Jesus Christ. Today, churches all over the world will be talking about how the body of Christ was gifted by the power of the Holy Spirit with many different spiritual gifts that help the spiritual universal church body function completely. Just as each of our bodies is made up of different parts to make one whole body, the church has been given spiritual gifts in its members and each individual person to make the church of Jesus Christ all that it can be. Today, all over the world, there'll be churches that who are celebrating by singing happy birthday to the church. I've seen that happen who might be celebrating with birthday cake, hopefully shared uh, responsibly, and with telling the story that we find in the book of Acts that describes what happened on that Pentecost 2,000 years ago. And today, we also will look at that story. But I don't want us to just look at the story and glance over it. I want us to go deeper into that story. The move of the Holy Spirit began the work of giving birth to the church, not just on Pentecost, but actually on the evening of Easter, right? So three days after Jesus was buried, he was put in the tomb. We believe that Jesus was resurrected. On Easter, we see a triumphant Jesus resurrected from the dead, and he shows up in the midst of his disciples, and he shares with them something incredible. On that day, according to the Gospel of John, we see Jesus preparing his disciples for what was going to happen after Jesus ascends, after his physical presence is no longer with them. And I want to read that to you. It comes from the book of John. So you can follow along on your screen. We'll have that for you. But it comes from the book of John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 23. If you have your Bible, feel free to underline or to make notes in the margins. But let's let's read this together. It says, on the evening of that first day of the week, and again, we're talking about Easter, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and he stood among them, peace be with you. 
After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. In this scripture, we see that Jesus sets into motion the foundational purpose of the church. Jesus is sending out the disciples filled with the Spirit of God to share God's message that he gave to Jesus. That message of hope, of love, of peace, of justice, of freedom from the oppressed. And what really caught my attention in this scripture was that Jesus breathed on his disciples, right? So I imagine Jesus could have transferred that Holy Spirit into them any other way, but instead he chooses to breathe on his Holy Spirit. I imagine that all of us uh, from one point in our lives or another have breathed on people, and I know that each of us have been breathed on, right? Oftentimes breathing on someone is not really appreciated, and certainly when their breath is a bit funky. So now I like to think of myself as a, a decent father, I try to make good decisions regarding my children, and I want my kids to be healthy and to grow up right. So one of the tests that we have implemented at our house is the did you brush your teeth for real test. So many of you parents know exactly what I'm talking about. In this test, you make your children uh, do, or, or in this test, you make your kids do it's something that you have to have them do whenever they go into the bathroom to brush their teeth, and they're only in there for like 3.2 seconds, and you know they haven't done their teeth uh, exactly well, if at all. So you have that kind of suspicion in your mind, did they actually brush their teeth? And so what you might have implemented like we did is uh, the toothbrush test, which is, you know, you touch the toothbrush, and if it's wet, we know they've brushed their teeth, right? Because we trust our children. However, we're dealing with children in the 21st century who have all the power of the internet at their hands, and they've discovered that all you have to do is wet your toothbrush and put it away, and your parents who touch that toothbrush might say, oh, it's wet, they must have brushed their teeth. But nah, we've been duped. That's why, regrettably, at my house, we have to do the sniff tests, right? All right, Alyssa, come on in. Let me smell your breath. It's a sentence I never, ever thought that I would ever ask anybody, like, hey, let me smell your breath. No, I never thought that, but now having children, it's an essential test. The breath test is the only real way that we as parents can know that our kids have brushed their teeth. But in this biblical story, Jesus isn't doing a breath check, right? He's not looking for someone to assess his brushing prowess. Instead, he's using his breath as a figurative way to express him giving to the disciples the very same spirit of power that Jesus himself had. Jesus breathes a new type of life into his disciples that will become for them transformative and for the world transformative too. And as we're talking about Jesus' breath and as I'm reading through the scripture, it reminded me that this story kind of sounded a little bit familiar. Like, I've heard about God's breath before, so I took some time this week to look at the words that were being used in this particular scripture. Many of you probably didn't know this, but the Greek word for breath is the word pneuma. P-N-E-U-M-A, pneuma, right? So pneuma is a word that we might be a little bit familiar with today in one way or another. Think about the word pneumonia, right? P-N-E-U-M-A. O-N-I-A, pneumonia, right? It's a sickness that affects the breathing abilities of a person. 
And then also think about pneumatic tools. They're tools that work using the power of air. Another word you may be familiar with is uh, pneumatophores. They're gas-filled sacks serving as a float in some colonial marine hydrozoans, such as the Portuguese man-of-war. I'm sure you knew that. But the word pneuma means more than just breath or air. There's a special depth to it that sometimes doesn't get fully expressed in our English words just by using the word pneuma. A more complete definition of pneuma might be these three. Number one, a movement of air or a wind, right? A rush of air. Number two, the spirit. For an example, the vital principle by which the body is animated. Pneuma also means the rational spirit, the power by which a human being feels, thinks, wills, decides, the very soul of humanity. Pneuma is more than air or wind or breath. A better way to look at it might be to, to think about it in a similar terms to the word life force, right? I mean, context matters, so not every time it's found in Scripture does it mean that life force, that, that kind of spiritual life and physical life that are kind of meshed together. But in this instance, when Jesus breathes on his disciples, it's inferring that Jesus transferred his very life, his spirit, his will, his power into his friends. So when Jesus breathes on his disciples, he is transferring his supernatural physical sense his power into his friends. Jesus' pneuma, his spirit, his emotional power, his will is given freely. And it's this giving of the spiritual breath of Jesus that equips the disciples to become the leaders that are needed to build the worldwide church. We're talking both in physical and a mystical sense here. Because this is the moment that the supernatural spirit of God enters the figurative body of Christ, right? So God's Holy Spirit, his pneuma, enters God's holy church, the body of Jesus. So now that we see the word pneuma and we, we have a little bit deeper of an understanding of what that word means, we can also take a look back in the Old Testament where scriptures were written in Hebrew, right? There's a Hebrew word that takes the place of the word pneuma in the Greek. And that Hebrew word is ruach. Do you remember the story of creation? It's the very first time in our Bible that we see the word ruach used. The Hebrew word ruach means wind, breath, or spirit. The corresponding Greek word, as we've learned, is pneuma. Both words are commonly used in passages referring to the Holy Spirit. The word's first use in the Bible appears in the second verse of the Bible. The Spirit of God, Ruach Elohim, was hovering over the waters. We find that in Genesis 1, 2. In Genesis 6, 17, Ruach is translated to the breath of life. In Genesis 8, 1, it uses the word Ruach to describe the wind that God sent over the earth to receive the floodwaters. Altogether, the word Ruach is found almost 400 times in the Old Testament. In the creation, God's ruach, his spirit, his breath, his will, his very soul, is hovering over the waters of what will become creation. God's breath, his wind, his life force, that eternal presence of God is in the midst of God's initial creating moments. From the very beginning, God's life force is active. 
And later on in the story of creation, it continues on and contains a moment where we again see this word ruach. We get to see the Spirit of God in a more physical sense, right? In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says this, and you can see it for yourself. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. In this scripture, we see that God breathed his ruach, his pneuma, his spirit into humanity and created life as we know it. This human ability to think, to build, to dream, to care, to create are all parts of humanity that make us distinctly different from all the rest of God's creation. Each of us has a piece of God within us. This is why we're called the children of God. This is why we're called God's children. Because a part of who makes up, a part of what makes up God also makes up us. And on this day when we celebrate Pentecost, the birth of the church, when God's Holy Spirit is poured out onto the disciples, we get to see the impact that the breath of God has on the world. I want us to read together the book of Acts. And in chapter 2, we get to hear the story of Pentecost and see the repercussions. Let's read this together. Verses 1 through 21. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind, and that word is pneuma, came from heaven and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and he addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit on those day, or in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. A great wind swept through the house where the disciples were staying, and it, and it basically blew them out onto the street and set them on fire to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in a way they never had thought of before. The word that is used here in verse 2 is the same word 
when Jesus breathed on his disciples, we see the word pneuma. There is this beautiful thread that continues on and along throughout the Bible where God's breath changes the story. From first creation where God's spirit hovers over the void of non-existence to the breath of God turning a mound of dust into a living being with a soul and a consciousness to the breathing out of the spirit of God into the disciples in that upper room on that Easter evening. And then finally, when the wind of God stirs the hearts of the disciples so much that they have to step out of their fear and into a powerful ministry to the world around them. And that's the hope that the church brings. You see, the story about the birth of the church should be a very powerful reminder about what the church is supposed to be and how the church is supposed to serve. We are called to be a breath of hope for the world around us. And the irony is that today we are learning about how intentional and wonderful and powerful the breath of God is in a time when our breathing has in some cases had consequences. Think about the irony of the Ruach, the pneuma, the breath of God that breathed into the church of Jesus Christ so long ago. And now think about how ironic it is that in this moment, in our history, in this time, in this day, we're not allowed to meet together because our very breath, the wind that comes from our lungs, our pneuma, may cause the death of our neighbor. In a time of COVID-19 where families are stuck in quarantine, where we're asked to wear face masks and to sanitize our hands frequently, in this time where singing praise to God may inadvertently bring about the sickness of our friends, our family, and our fellow congregants, in this time God's breath is needed more than it's ever been needed in our modern history. Church, today as we celebrate the birth of who we are over 2,000 years ago on that morning of Pentecost, we are being given another chance to dream about what the church of the future could look like. Today, church, we are being given a fresh breath of God's spirit to find new ways to love our neighbor, to worship God together as a community, but maybe from a distance. Today, it may not feel like it, but even in the midst of this pandemic, where over just this week, 103,000 Americans have lost their lives, we're being given a chance to be the very pneuma, the breath of God to a hurting world outside the comfortable spaces of our church, outside the stained glass windows, outside the lights, outside where crosses are prevalent, and into a world of darkness. And we need to be the loving, spirit-filled body of Christ to the world now more than we ever have. It's even a little more ironic that we are talking about the breath of God in a time when we have seen just recently the breath of life being unjustly taken from a number of our African-American brothers and sisters. Just this week, many of us have seen the leaked video of George Floyd's last moments where he called out, for his mother, and repeatedly told the officer kneeling on his neck that he couldn't breathe. And as we have seen in the last few days, our nation is mourning. And in some cities, our nation is being torn apart. You know, it was a few years ago that I got to sit down with one of my best friends in the whole wide world. His name is Nick Lee. 
Uh, Nick Lee and I were youth pastors together. I was in a, a Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, and Nick was working in Bixby. And we were at a camp together, and it was during this week of camp that the news broke of another African-American man being shot unjustly. And so I got a chance to sit down with Nick, who is a large black man, and I got to hear him be honest with me about how much he was hurting. I got to hear a different perspective, one that I was not familiar with, because I grew up in a small town in, in around the Tulsa area with a very tiny minority presence. Hearing my friend Nick speak about the injustice that was done opened my eyes a little bit. Hearing his perspective on that story was powerful for me. And in that time, Nick began to tell me some stories that I honestly had a hard time believing at first. There was a story he told me about driving through a small town in Oklahoma with a white female friend of his driving him home after a football game. And they were pulled over because he looked suspicious sitting there as a large African-American man in the car next to a very young white American woman. So as they pulled the young, car, the young woman's car over, one police officer went and asked her at her driver's side window if she felt safe with her passenger. Meanwhile, another police officer went to the passenger side window and began to interrogate my friend Nick, asking questions that I couldn't really understand. Questions like, if we run your name, are we going to find any warrants for your arrest? Questions like, do you have any drugs or weapons on you right now? Questions like, have you paid your child support? And mind you, Nick was barely out of high school. In that moment, for me, something clicked. I grew up in a town in a school that didn't have a big population of African-American young men and women or even Hispanic young men and women. My life experience was vastly different than Nick's. And I realized in that moment, that would never, ever happen to me. I don't have to worry about being a passenger in a car and someone asking me if I had been paying my child support. I realized in that moment that just because I had never seen something, just because I hadn't seen what Nick described, it doesn't mean that it isn't happening when I'm not looking. And friends, now I see it. I see Facebook posts. I hear underhanded comments, and I can't unhear the stories of my friend Nick. The thought of the disciples in a small town filled with basically a, a, a community of people who looked and sounded exactly like them, that small community, I can't imagine those disciples ever thought they would be traveling throughout all of the Middle East sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't think they ever thought that the word of Jesus Christ would ever come to Tulsa, Oklahoma. But when Jesus gave them a message to go into all the world preaching the gospel, teaching people to, to follow the rules that Jesus gave them, I think that would have blown them away. And now, today, 
here, we have the message of the gospel to celebrate even in Tulsa, even in our own city, because of the willingness of the apostles to not let the message of Jesus go unheard to people outside of their own ethnicity. Even in Tulsa, Oklahoma, we now know who Jesus is and that he died for us because a small group of people weren't afraid to take the gospel out into different races and different places and different peoples. Friends, it's a terrible tragedy that even as we celebrate the birth of the church, even as we celebrate the message of Jesus Christ even reaching Tulsa, that today, 99 years ago, this very day, the worst race massacre in all of United States history took place in our city. And then again, yesterday afternoon, just a few blocks from our front doors, a march happened down Peoria Avenue because of racism and violence. It's been 99 years, and the message is still the same. There are people whose voices need to be heard. 99 years ago, on this very day, an untold number of black men and women had their pneuma stolen from them as our cities burned their businesses and their properties to the ground, shot them in the streets, and bombed them from planes that circled the city. This is truth. What I'm saying is not made up. This is reality. And this happened in Tulsa. And the irony is about this story is that today we celebrate the breath of Christ breathed into the disciples to start a movement to change the world as we mourn the breath that was stolen from our black brothers and sisters. We celebrate the life of the church as we mourn the loss of life of George Floyd and the countless other black American men and women we've lost to racism. As we celebrate Jesus breathing new life into the church, this week we once again heard the cries of the oppressed shouting, I can't breathe. And in 2020, each of us, each of us has a choice. So brothers and sisters, today as we celebrate the birth of the church, the pneuma of God, the life-giving force of, of spirituality being breathed into the Jesus movement. As we celebrate this time in our church once again, we have to reflect and see where we as the church of Jesus Christ have to make a difference. We have to be the voice for the voiceless, we have to be justice where justice cannot be found. We have to lift up those whose necks are crushed under the weight of racism. This is the church that I want us to be. This is the church that America needs in 2020. So church, let us once again breathe in this beautiful ruach, this pneuma, this breath of God and breathe into the world God's righteous justice and peace as Christ intended. Church, we have a lot of work to do together. God, let that work begin in me. Thank you so much for joining us on today's Community Cast. 
We hope that you were blessed by today's conversation. If you'd like to know more about Community Brookside, please feel free to visit us at our website, communitybrookside.com, or find us on your favorite social media outlet. We hope to hear from you soon. Be blessed.